Well, if you have your Bible with you, we're looking at Colossians chapter 2. As we pick up again, Colossians chapter 2. And we've been thinking together about the directives from Richard Baxter on the subject of thanksgiving. As we prepare ourselves for this annual, you know, it is a blessing to have a country that has a day of thanksgiving. Not many countries in the world, did you know that? Not many countries in the world have a day of thanksgiving. Very few, actually. So I think it's wonderful, great witness. My spirit was provoked within me as I drove to church tonight. I saw about five houses already decorated for Christmas, and I thought, wait your turn. All right, let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for all that we have and all that we are in you, Jesus Christ, our Savior. And do thank you, O God, that you have not left us to die in our sins. You have not left us nor forsaken us. You have not abandoned us to perdition. You have not left us in that place of darkness where there's weeping, gnashing of teeth, where the fire is never quenched, where the worm never dies. Lord, instead, you put the cup of wrath in your son's hands, and he drank it for us. We thank you that he was willing to be bereft of your pleasure while hanging on that cross, and instead knew the justice and the judgment of your holy and righteous anger for our crimes. We thank you that he was willing even to the point of death, even death on the cross, to cry out, it is finished, so that, Lord, there would be no outstanding guilt and punishment for us in you. So, Lord, we pray that you'd give us grateful hearts this month. Make us mindful on a daily basis of the billions of blessings that are ours in your Son. Make us mindful, O Lord, of what it is to go back like that one leper and render thanks to you. Help us to do so ourselves for Christ's sake. Amen. Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, verse 7. Having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed, and overflowing with gratitude. It's that last clause there that we've been thinking about today, overflowing with gratitude. Now, Richard Baxter, in his 11th directive, uh, tells us that heaven, we should seek to make heaven ever in our eye, he said. Let heaven be ever in your eye. What does that mean, heaven in your eye, boys and girls? Well, it means to think about the endless joy that you will have with the Lord Jesus Christ. Eternity is built in to our human nature. It's one of the things that makes us uniquely human. 
is that we're built in with this sense of eternity. I read one of the saddest articles this week about a well-known billionaire, I don't know if y'all read it, who is uh, playing around with the idea uh, when he dies to have his body preserved in, in, in a frozen manner in the hopes that the technology will come one day uh, where he will be able to be revived uh, from that, that state. And there is a, a literal place out in Arizona, I think 200 people, 240-some maybe, have already done this. Um, and I thought, you know, this is so tragic Then, when the Bible tells us how you can have eternal life and it, it is not dependent upon technology. Um, but why do people do that? Well, they know they're going to die and, and they know that they have an eternal soul. They know that eternity is, is a part of their makeup. And they try to find ways to, you know, skirt around the obvious answer that is in front of us all, that Jesus Christ was bodily raised from the dead. He's the first fruit of the future resurrection of all humanity. And those who put their trust in Jesus Christ will be raised unto glory. So Baxter is saying that we should have an eye uh, to this reality. <clears throat> Baxter says, he who has this hope truly still has reason for the highest joyful thanks, whatever, whatever worldly thing he or she wants. He says, he is unthankful indeed that will not be thankful for heaven. So that one of the first things that J.I. Packer says that uh, a Christian ought to do, and he said you should check your foundation, is if you don't thank the Lord for your salvation. One of the things we ought to always be thanking the Lord is that he saved us and that we are going to heaven. He said, the more believing and heavenly minded the mind is, the more thankful the person will be. <clears throat> we tend to think the opposite in our culture. We think the more heavenly minded a person is, the more irrelevant they are. And, and Baxter would challenge that. He actually says that we would be more grateful people and more grateful people do more things. Uh, so that's directive number 11. Let heaven ever be in your eye. Number 12, look at present earthly mercies. Look at present earthly mercies in connection with heaven. These mercies lead you to heaven. Um, the Father feeds you. The Father clothes you. The Father protects you. And as we said this morning, that we taste his love in these blessings that he gives us. Now, the problem that we see, for example, that Moses warned about in Deuteronomy was that when God gave the milk and the honey flowing in the land that they were to take, that it led them away from the Father instead of leading them closer to the Father. And they, they became proud because of their newfound blessings and wealth instead of leading them to greater love, faithfulness, zeal for Jesus Christ. We are to uh, have the blessings that we enjoy in this world to lead us to greater faithfulness to God. How good is this blessing? With the love of God, we are to say, says Baxter. We have all of this, meaning all these blessings, and heaven. He says, this is enough for me. So that even if we don't have all that we want, as I said, if your food isn't the finest, you're not going to the five-star restaurant, you're going to the three-star restaurant. You, got, you grew up with secondhand clothing, you know, 
Um, you, he said, uh, you know, have less maybe than you know, people on TV have. He says, but even with that, heaven is a mercy beyond all human estimation. Heaven is beyond all human conceiving, says Baxter. And this also should guide us in our perspective. <clears throat> Directive number 13. Consider how great a mercy it is that thankfulness is made so great a part of our duty. Consider how great a mercy it is that thankfulness is made so great a part of our duty. Now, what does that mean, boys and girls? That means think about how easy it is to serve Jesus. That One of the biggest things you have to do for Jesus is just to keep saying, Lord, thank you. That's, <laughs> that's one of your biggest things you have to do is just say, thank you, Lord, for all my blessings. Thank you, Lord, for my family. Thank you, Lord, for my church. Thank you, Lord, for the country I live in. Thank you for my Bible. Thank you, Lord, that I get to have friends who love Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for how you've worked in my life. And he said, that that's actually pretty easy work. And it's the bulk of what God would have us do. What are we supposed to do? Love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he says, if you'll just take up the... the um, the duty of thanking God, um, you'll really begin to see this is, this, Jesus is right. This is yoke is easy. This burden is light. <clears throat> Baxter says, isn't this thankfulness better work than consuming mercies in sin? Isn't it better to be a thankful Christian and receiving these things from God and giving thanks back to him? than being a sinner who just takes all these blessings and mercies and consumes them on themselves and brings no profit back to the Lord by way of return. They're, they're worse than even the one who buries his talent in the ground. They use their blessings and their talents as sin. They take God's oxygen into their lungs and they take God's name in vain. They speak uh, rude and coarse things that they shouldn't be saying. You know, I just was seeing how certain curse words are becoming so prevalent. Even the news took it up uh, this week about the prevalency of cursing uh, now. I think it was in light of what the Fed chairman said this week. And, and it's, it's becoming common but this is what sinners do. They, they take in the, the oxygen, the, the food, and what do they do? They pollute the air with their blasphemy. Thankfulness is far better work, says Baxter. Directive number 14. Make conscience ordinarily of allowing God's mercies as much room in your thoughts and prayers as you allow thoughts of sin, wants, and troubles. Make conscience ordinarily of allowing God's mercies, that is, think about the mercies of God as often as you think about the things you want, the troubles you have, and the, and the problems of sin. <clears throat> Baxter says, thoughts of sins and dangers may have a greater share of your thoughts in days of humiliation. Uh, you know, if, if, 
if you're going through a difficult time, it's not unnatural to think about those things and all the troubles you're going through. Um, notable falls into sin, say Baxter's, can sometimes lead to special cases of special distress. However, he says, ordinarily, mercies should take up more time in our thoughts and prayers than our sins. He says, if you cannot be as thankful as you desire, yet you can spend much time in confessing God's mercies to you, as in confessing your sins and mentioning your wants. He's trying to deal with people maybe who have a melancholic personality and they are always seeing themselves as unrighteous before God. And they are, we are. Uh, but that they, they have trouble, kind of like John Bunyan's man who, who is plowing in the ground you know, with the hoe and doesn't realize he's got a crown above his head. Um, he's always digging in the dirt. He's always just looking inwardly. He's only looking at the sin. And Baxter is suggesting that as often as we think about our sin, and our failures, we also ought to be thinking about the mercies of God. Here's a quote from Baxter. Thanksgiving is an effectual petitioning for more. I love that sentence. Thanksgiving is an effectual petitioning for more. Do you understand what he's saying there, young people? He's saying, if you will thank God for what you have, what greater petition is there for God to give you more? That is, if you'll be a faithful steward of the blessings God has given you by being thankful to him, why would God not give you more blessings? He says, it showeth that the soul is not drowned in selfishness, but would carry the fruit of all his mercies back to God. It's, you know, if, if the person never is bringing thanks to God and is always petitioning God, the Lord might say, well, why should I answer that petition favorably? You never come back with any thanksgiving to me. Um, you're like the nine lepers. You get healed and you go away and I never hear from you again until you want something else. And so he, Baxter is saying that if, uh, you know, instead of petitioning, 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 maybe try thanking, thanking, thanking. If you're not as thankful as you would like, says Baxter, see that you spend more time thinking on God's mercies. You will work greater thankfulness by degrees, he says. If you'll work at thankfulness, you will become a more thankful person. Number 15, take heed of a proud, covetous, fleshly, discontented mind. They are enemies of thankfulness. Take heed of a proud, covetous, fleshly, discontented mind. A proud heart thinks it is worthy of more and thinks diminutively of all. A covetous heart is still gaping after more and never returning the fruit of what it has received. A fleshly mind is an insatiable gulf of corporeal mercies, says Baxter, devours one after another. And then he says, a discontented mind is always murmuring and never pleased, always finding something to quarrel at and takes 
more notice of the denying of its unjust desires than of the giving of the many undeserved mercies. Number 16, directive number 16, avoid melancholy and worry. Avoid melancholy and worry. Now why? What is melancholy, boys and girls? Melancholy is obsessive uh, discouragement and depression. It's always being down, always kind of looking at the world negatively. This, says Baxter, will inhibit you from tasting your greatest mercies. Uh, It will keep you from being glad or thankful for anything you have. Melancholy and fear misrepresent reality. Melancholy and fear misrepresent everything, says Baxter. It is next to impossible for the melancholy or fearful to be thankful because they cannot believe that anything good and comfortable is for them. If they get a blessing, they think, oh no, that just means I'm about to be cursed. Something bad's going to happen because nothing good ever happens to me without three things going wrong in my life. And so they, they look at, they become suspicious of God's fatherhood. Um, they can't ever believe that God would do something good for them. It is natural for them, says Baxter, it is natural for them to be still fearing, despairing, complaining, and troubling themselves. So he says, Baxter exhorts us, befriend not this miserable disease. He says, resist it by all due remedies. And I think if you um, actually will work on being thankful, you will find that that is one of the ways in which uh, I think melancholy and fear are dealt with in in our lives. Actually, by spending time in prayer, being thankful to God, uh, it does actually help keep those two things at bay, away from us here. Number 17, uh, a directive. Take heed of the doctrines that lead to unthankfulness. Take heed of the doctrines that lead to unthankfulness. Baxter believes that Pelagianism, um, which denies salvation uh, by faith and saving grace to be any special gift, um, basically, you're saved because you had something within you, you know, to, to be saved. And, and he said, you know, that, that is going to affect the way you look at the world. If you believe that you were saved because of some virtue in yourself, well, then what are you really going to be grateful for? Of course you should have been saved. You know, you deserved to be saved. But when you see that there is no good thing within you, that you are a, a dead dog, a sinner, dead in your sins and trespasses, deserving nothing but the wrath and justice of God. The fact that you are given grace uh, should lead to greater thankfulness to God. So watch out for those uh, doctrines that uh, promote the self and um, hinder the subject of Sovereign grace. Then finally, this will be a little bit longer, but not too long. Number 18, directive. 
Do not give God mere verbal thanks, but give him yourself and all that you have. Do not just give God mere verbal thanks, but give him yourself and all that you have. Psalm 96, verse 12. Thankfulness causes the soul to say, What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits towards me? That is, the psalmist is saying here, young people, what can I do for God? In light of what Jesus Christ has done for me, dying on the cross for me and being raised from the dead for me and ascending to the Father for me and interceding for me, what can I do for God in Jesus Christ? He's saying, how can I live a life of gratitude to the Lord? Even when we tithe to the Lord, when we tithe in worship, we are not only just giving a tenth of our portion, the tenth of our first fruits, but what we essentially also are saying is, Lord, we are pledging ourselves again to you. Even as we trust you to provide for us in our homes, as we give to you a tenth for the work of the kingdom, we also are saying, Lord, we are putting ourselves... uh, before you. And, and so the, I think the offering is uh, probably more important than we realize as a part of the worship service. It, it is an act of dedication um, for the worshiper, not just giving of a portion of our money, but we're really saying, Lord, 100% of what you have, I'm giving you 10% here. But the other 90% is still yours, including me. And all my gifts and talents and time are yours. Help me, O God, as I give you this portion which you have asked for. Lord, help me by your grace to give everything I have uh, for your service. Romans chapter 12. Look at Romans chapter 12 uh, with me here. Verse 1, familiar verse to a number of you. Romans 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship here. So he's saying in light of the gospel, you know, you have to look up into chapter 11 to see what Paul is responding to here. He said, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, How unsearchable are his judgments, unfathomable his ways. That is, look at what all God has done for us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And and then he says, you know, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. And on the basis of that, he then says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. In light of the wondrous revelation of the gospel of Jesus Christ to us, Present yourself a servant to the Lord, a a living sacrifice, not a dead sacrifice like in the Old Covenant. The Old Covenant, they put a dead animal on the altar. Uh, In the New Covenant, in Jesus Christ, we are a living sacrifices. Christ having died and been raised from the dead, his spirit who raised him from the dead working within us, we are living sacrifices. And we show ourselves to be thankful uh, to him by that consecrated life. Thankfulness is a powerful spring to obedience. Thankfulness is a powerful spring to obedience. Um, 
If you want to make evangelical obedience sweet, gratitude will always lighten that load. Um, Baxter says it makes men long to be fruitful and profitable and glad of opportunities and to be serviceable to God. When we have a thankful spirit, we are ready and able and energized uh, more to serve. When we don't have a thankful spirit within us, it makes uh, the work we do for Christ laborious. A thankful obedience, says Baxter, is an obedient thankfulness. Wait, a thankful obedience and an obedient thankfulness are a Christian's life. I'll say that again. Baxter says a thankful obedience and an obedient thankfulness are a Christian's life. So thankfulness and service go hand in hand. The Psalms, of course, speak a lot about this subject. If you look at Psalm 50 in your Bible, verses 14, 15, and 23, Psalm 50, verses 14 and 15, and then jump down to verse 23, the psalmist tells us in Psalm 50, this is after God says, look, you know, um, I do not reprove you for your sacrifices, but hey, I own all, all the animals of the earth. So, you know, you could give me all the animals of the earth, but here's what God is saying, what he really wants. He says, offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and pay your vows to the Most High. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I shall rescue you and you will honor me. So he says, offer thanksgiving to God and I'll, I'll help you with your troubles. Then look at verse 23. He who offers a sacrifice of thanksgiving honors me. And to him who orders his way aright, I shall show the salvation of God. So if you want to honor the Lord, thank the Lord. If you're in a day of trouble, pay your vows. Make a sacrifice of thanksgiving in the day of trouble. And see if God doesn't rescue you here. There's a promise here that if you'll offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving to God, uh, paying your vows of thanks to the Lord, he says, in the day of trouble, I'll rescue you. Look at Psalm 30. Psalm 30, uh, verses 1 through 4. <clears throat> Psalm 30, verses 1 through 4. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have lifted me up. I and have not let my enemies rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help. And you healed me. So here, boys and girls, is somebody who was terribly in need. And God brought about healing for them. Oh, Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. That means he was delivered from dying. You have kept me alive that I would not go down to the pit. Sing praise to the Lord, you, his godly ones, and give thanks to his holy name. Notice what the psalmist is saying here. I came close to dying. God saved me from death. And he's calling upon the people of God to give thanks to the Lord for that. And if you look at verse 11 and 12, he says, You have turned for me my mourning, that's uh, sadness mourning, 
not morning in the a.m., my morning into dancing, you have loosed my sackcloth and girded me with gladness, that my soul may sing praise to you and not be silent. Oh, Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. The psalmist pledges a lifetime of thanksgiving for this deliverance. Psalm 69, verse 30. Psalm 69, and uh, verse 30 and 31. <clears throat> I will praise the name of God with song and magnify him with thanksgiving. And it will please the Lord better than an ox or a young bull with horns and hoofs. So what's being said here by the psalmist David here? He's saying, if I will give God thanksgiving, it'll be better than if I even went down to the temple and offered an animal and put it on the altar. Uh, Psalm 92, we began our service tonight with this reading in verse 1 and 2. <coughs> Psalm 92, verse 1 and 2. <clears throat> it is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing Praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness by night. Notice here, I'm going to give thanks to you, God, in the morning. I'm going to give thanks to you at night. This is a Sabbath day psalm, by the way, congregation. That means this was a psalm excuse me, that was sung each Sabbath. And in the morning and in the evening, we're going to give thanks to you. In uh, Psalm 119, we're almost done here. Psalm 119 and verse 62. <clears throat> At midnight I shall rise to give thanks to you because of your righteous ordinances. Now, I think this is probably a, a poetic way. It could be literal. Maybe he did get up at midnight. You know, uh, sleep patterns actually are a little bit different than uh, they are today in um, in modernity, that uh, people actually would go to bed earlier uh, than we tend to, but they also would get up and they would have an hour or two where they are awake, and then they would go back to bed <coughs> and, um, and sleep. You can read about that. Uh, but um, So it may have been literal here too, but it may be a way of expressing... <coughs> I'm sorry, I'm struggling here. Um, Morning, you know, praising God, thanking God all day. And then um, Psalm 140. Psalm 140. And verse 13. Psalm 140. And verse 13. Surely the righteous will give thanks to your name. The upright will dwell in your presence. I want to conclude just from uh, the New Testament, 1 Thessalonians 5.18. The Apostle Paul reminds us that in everything, and this is probably a good way to sum up what Baxter is teaching us here, in everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. I know a lot of us struggle with what's the will of God for my life, especially if you're young. If you're a young person, what, what does God want me to do? Where does he want me to go? What does he want me to study? And Paul is saying, hey, first thing you ought to do, if you want to know the will of God, is just be thankful. 
uh, be a thankful person and see if God doesn't direct a lot of the other details uh, in your life. Well, let's uh, pray together as we